Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. He's the one is now. 102.9 ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. Miss anything in the first hour of the show? Check it out. Nuana's Now Podcast, probably presented by Blackfoot Communications, the M Store, and the Montana State Bookstore from the East Coast. Well, technology is amazing, isn't it? Time now for the business angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications, which, by the way, Blackfoot can help you with a variety of technological advancements. They have awesome fiber capabilities, also in-house and for small business networking capabilities. Visit goblackfoot.com. Business angle with Justin Angle a couple times a month here on Nuanas Now. Justin comes to us from the East Coast. He's uh, on a family vacation out there visiting his folks. So appreciate you making some time, my man. How you doing? I'm doing well. I am, yeah, I'm located here in New Hampshire where I grew up, spending a, a week or so with my family. And uh, it's a little bizarre to land here in New England and uh, experience wildfire smoke. I know it's been a big story most of the summer with some of the smoke from the Canadian fires engulfing some of the East Coast cities. But to, to be out here and to experience it kind of juxtaposed against, you know, us having our first dose of real wildfire smoke in Missoula with a cold fire and some of the Idaho fires. Yeah, it's just kind of, just it, it's a little bit of a bizarre thing to, to wake up to in the morning. Well, if you want to learn more about wildfires, go check out Justin's great podcast, Fireline. They did this uh, a little while ago. They won a Murrow Award for it, won a whole bunch of awards for it, and uh, a book uh, attached to this is, is coming out as well, so uh, go check that out, too. I know I can't, I just, I can't handle the fact that there's going to be smoke already. It's my least favorite thing. I know it's completely beating a dead horse, but... Uh, it's just it's a bummer. That's why everybody should listen to this podcast, though, because it really shows you sort of the, the the ins and outs of why this is happening. Yeah, it's important for us to understand that you know, smoke is uh, inevitable in many ways. I think it's Mark Finney who works at the Rocky Mountain Research Lab who says, you know, when do you want your smoke and how do you want it? I mean, we're either going to get it from large fires that are hard to control or we're going to get it from prescribed burns that occur more often during the year. And uh, I think 
probably need to be more tolerant of lower intensity smoke at different times of the year so we can avoid those long endless periods of getting engulfed by it that that seem to paralyze us you know in in late august early september most years well let's talk some of the biggest stories in the sports world when it comes to the business angle of these stories first and foremost the women's world cup is underway it's being played in uh, australia and new zealand and the United States women's national team, once again, one of the favorites uh, in this tournament. This group of, of ladies, Justin, has has risen to uh, almost unprecedented prominence. I, I would say that the, the most popular and most well-known women's sports team in, a, in America, and maybe in the world, is the United States women's national soccer team. And they're gunning for their third straight World Cup title. Uh, but there's a lot here uh, that I want to get into. But but first and foremost, what do you think the factors are that have made this group of gals uh, so so popular, so prominent, so famous, so marketable? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a it's a it's a long it's a it's a vast constellation of things, and I think it dates back to that original uh, Women's World Cup where the United States women just dominated and did so in a way with with just wonderfully marketable athletes, Mia Hamm and that whole crew. And that's a long time ago, but that was the sort of moment where women's soccer in the United States became part of the popular conception. And critical to that was it was part of the popular conception as the best in the world, right? That was our first entry point into, into women's soccer being the best in the world. And, you know, we sort of held that notion up. You know, we've never thought of the men's soccer team as being at or near the best in the world, sort of maybe trying to knock on the door from time to time. But from our very first moment as a society is really starting to think about women's soccer, we've just thought of them as the best. And they've delivered on that time and time again, this this stretch of potentially three World Cups, the, the, the ability to reload with players that are not only like pushing the boundaries of what's possible in the sport on the field, but also have been you know, pretty elo- eloquent and vocal advocates for you know, fair pay. I think in the case of women's soccer, the, the product has largely been better at the national team level than it has on the men's level. So the argument for, for, for equal, if not greater pay has been uniquely compelling relative to how it manifests in other sports. Um, it is a sport that is hugely popular with young girls in the country and the families of young girls. And there's a lot of attention allocated to that. And, and so I think it, it, it yeah, just occupies this, this unique space where we think of it as the best and it, when we watch it, we experience it as the best. And Americans like telling ourselves we're the best at stuff. And watching the Women's World Cup perform as the best in the world is, is a way to uh, reinforce that, that view we have of ourselves. And to me, that's, that's a lot of the reason why it's so compelling. The Business Angle with Justin Angle here on Nuanas Now. It's so true. Soccer on the men's side... I, I guess soccer as a sport was not widely consumed or, or participated in by Americans until a variety of other countries had unbelievably elite 
national soccer teams, Brazil and Italy and France and Mexico and Spain and Portugal and all these, you know, even Germany and, and Belgium were, were far, far ahead of the United States. The United States have caught up a little bit in men's soccer, but still so far away from being the best in the world. The United States women's national team, they got started out kind of when this when, when soccer was becoming a global phenomenon across the world of women's sports. And so we are not at nearly, America is not nearly at a dis, nearly the disadvantage. I also think, though, we've had some of our, our fiercest and most talented women's athletes playing soccer, and I don't know if that's necessarily the case uh, on the men's side as well. I mean, a lot of our great athletes on the men's side from America are playing football or or basketball. So I I do think there's some some stuff there, but I also think the fact that there's such such strong personalities and there has been such strong personalities on the US women's national team pretty much from the for the duration whether you're talking about, you know, Mia Hamm and Hope Solo or uh, Abby Wambach or or now Megan Rapinoe and Alex Morgan and some of the other most marketable gals on this team. But that's the next question I want to ask you, is the most recognizable names on this team, Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, Julie Hertz, they're also the oldest players on this team. They've been on the national team for at least two and if sometimes maybe even three World Cup cycles, this being their fourth. But there's also a whole bunch of unbelievable younger players on this team that maybe we don't know as much about, that aren't household names. How do you sort of balance that from... A marketing and business perspective. I mean, are the are the veterans standing in the way of the rise of the of the young gals, or is there a way for for them to both uh, have uh, sort of a, a chance to be, to be in the spotlight? Yeah, I guess I would think of it uh, on two levels. First is you know, how is the talent being managed on the field? Right? Are, are the the older athletes occupying space that they no longer? Um, deserve competitively at the expense of younger athletes who have maybe earned those um, opportunities but aren't, aren't getting them. It, that doesn't appear to be the case yet, although, you know, how leagues and teams and individual athletes transition through that, that the, those stages of late careers. Late careers of stars are, are hard to manage, as we know, from, from a variety of sports, and some sports and some individuals are able to do it well and, and some are not. So that's one level. On the other hand, from the business standpoint, yeah, there's kind of a fixed marketing spend out there, and that spend typically goes to the athletes around which the most compelling stories can be told. And quite often, you know, there's a long tail of stardom in, in, in marketing. And so a young athlete is going to have a hard time in a world where there's a Megan Rupino that can sort of continue to monetize her personal brand long after her, I shouldn't say long after, cause she's still at the top of the sport physically, but you know, after she is perhaps peaked on the field, she can continue to rise as an endorser. And that does crowd out opportunities for young players. Um, and so brands have to have to manage that as well. And my sense is that the, the women, the culture of the women's national team, and, 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 and sort of the camaraderie within those within the, that crew of athletes, it's just that managing it competitively on the field, I think, will happen with some elegance and grace. It appears to be that way, and you know we'll see how that 
storytelling trans transitions into into the marketing space if it'll be uh, as smooth we don't really know yet Justin Engel here on ESPN Radio, The Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Last thing on the women's national team, I do think that there's going to be a little bit of a changing of the guard here, even if the average person recognizes Megan Rapinoe and Alex Morgan more than you know Alyssa Thompson and Trinity Rodman and whoever else you might want to bring up. I do think there's going to be sort of a, a passing of the torch here and, and just, to, I, you know, I, I've, this is what I always do. I, I don't really get into stuff until right when it's about to happen, and then I get really into it. So I've been listening to podcasts about the, the Women's World Cup, and by all accounts, this Alyssa Thompson girl is a, a true prodigy. I mean, she's considered perhaps the greatest high school player in the history of the United States, and there's people that are saying that if she fulfills her potential, she will be the greatest American soccer player, man or woman, ever, and she's only 18 years old. That's a lot to put on a young lady, but her talent is that prodigious. So uh, you just wonder uh, if the, the passing of the torch will actually be advantageous for everybody, right? If Megan Rapinoe can still sort of be the face of this team, but also help ease the transition of this new prodigy. And same thing with Alex Morgan. It could be a fascinating thing to watch. This actually could make sort of the brand of this United States women's soccer team even stronger and even more sustainable. Yeah, the ingredients are there for a really a really kind of compelling transition. You've got a, a young athlete with a world of potential um, and a world of expectation. And we've seen that before. It happens over and over again in sport. And I think that that role for, you know, that sort of character in the American um, conception is getting younger and they're getting more exposed, right? With social media and now in the college sports name, image and likeness and all these reasons that I think put more spotlight and expectation on those prodigies. Um, and then we've got athletes that are performing at a high level deeper into middle age. And so this provides, I think the context for a lot of wonderful kind of mentorship and in a team sport like soccer, you know, there's, there's enough players on the field where I think you can have some, some, you can have enough overlap in mentorship in real time where it could, it could be a a healthy model for transition. It it, it would be nice to, it'd be a nice thing to see because so often it, it descends into, um, you know, a drama of another sort and, uh, the, that rarely ends well for, for most involved. It should be fascinating to watch play out. The uh, United States Women's National Team play their first World Cup match tomorrow, so we'll keep you apprised of what's going on there. Uh, on the soccer note, the business angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications, visit goblackfoot.com to see how Blackfoot can help you and your small business. Kylian Mbappe is one of the most prominent sporting names in the world, and, and you might not know if you're not into soccer, but he, he is the Frenchman who is... Uh, one of the rising stars, one of the great uh, up-and-coming players uh, in the world. But he uh, just signed with a Saudi Arabian club, Al-Halal, and they are set to pay a $332 million transfer fee. That's 300 million euros for those keeping track. And Mbappe is set to accept a $775 million salary packet. I can't even believe that that's a real thing to, that I'm saying on the radio. <laughs> but, th- I mean, this is precedent-setting <laughs> for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, and the, these dollar figures are unbelievable. And 
you know, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, the amount of money flowing into soccer at the highest levels around some of these players, it's kind of hard to fathom that these organizations, these teams, these leagues will get ready to return on that kind of an, of an investment. Uh, just look at the Inter-Miami game from two days ago, I think it was, where Messi scored that game-winning goal late off of the free kick, and it just captivated the news cycle in in an amazing way. And like the, 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 the sort of star power that was on hand to watch that game in Miami. Now, well, is that an analog for what could happen in in Saudi Arabia, is sport or is soccer going to be played in an accessible way there where enough people can watch it? Is there enough TV revenue to be had? Uh, it, it seems, is there enough other teams for Mbappé to compete against? What's that league going to look like? There's a lot of ifs in my mind, and part of it is just I'm not as well-versed in, in how, you know, soccer works in that particular on that particular stage but it does seem like these numbers are just kind of mind-bogglingly large um and there's got to be so much more to it than just a tv deal behind the uh the contract to 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 sort of imagine what sort of rates of return they could they could get on this investment and that's the most fascinating parallel is how do you equate the rate of return on investment? We're seeing this in the NBA right now. Jalen Brown just signed the richest deal in NBA history, five years, $304 million. So that is less than half in, in total number of what Kylian Mbappe is signing. But I do think the NBA is such a fascinating model because on one hand, a $304 million contract is staggering. That's the biggest deal in the history of the NBA. On the other hand, you could certainly make the argument that that's a great bargain for the Boston Celtics for two reasons. One, Jalen Brown's just the next one, but every guy that comes up for a contract upcoming is going to become then the next richest player uh, in NBA history. The second part, though, is especially in the NBA where the, the stars are so marketable and they are such a huge part of the brand of the league, I mean... I was joking about this the other day, but if I was LeBron James now in year 20 and at 38 years old, I would ask for the Michael Jordan deal where I'm signing one-year contracts every year, except for I wouldn't do it for $30 million like Michael Jordan was doing. I'd ask for $100 because LeBron James is absolutely worth $100 million to the Los Angeles Lakers. So to me, the, the sort of return on investment, even though the NBA numbers are staggering, it makes sense. I don't know how you could possibly get one soccer player to give you the return on investment for almost a billion-dollar contract, but uh, I don't know. But what do I know? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's – it's, I mean, the soccer world is a little bit more of a free market, right? Cause these players can move around from team to team. Um, and there's some constraints on that, and, and they do have to have other good teams to play against, although these teams can play in various – you know, there's various kind of high-level tournaments and interleague mixing throughout the world. So there are, it is a long season, and there's plenty of ways for an athlete to get it, get it exposure. And we'll sort of see how that works out. In the NBA, it's a, it's a weird market, right? Like the players that are sometimes in a given offseason getting the max contracts are, are, and, and getting paid more than anybody else in the league, they're not necessarily the best players. They're of, 
the elite cadre, a lot of times a team will you know, give a player a max deal as part of a trade or to retain a player um, because they just don't have anywhere else to go with that money and the cost of losing that player is too high. Does that justify the salary you pay them? It's hard to know. And, and I think another layer in this, and this is sort of distinct from the Mbappe uh, contracts, but what is the financial health of the NBA and ESPN, which is sort of the, the biggest um, broadcast partner with the NBA? I mean, a couple segments ago, we were talking about the layoffs at ESPN and how deep they went into their NBA talent space. And, you know, we see on the one hand, these max contracts rolling out for players, but the broadcast partners are cutting costs. And does that, does that indicate that the broadcast partners are overextended? Uh, or is it Disney being a giant company, Disney owning ESPN, and they have financial pressures elsewhere that they need to just cut costs across the board? So I'd be curious to know what kind of the financial health of, of the NBA as an ongoing concern is relative to the, their ability to kind of continue to pump out these contracts for who, these players that are they're good, but they're not necessarily the best at getting the highest paid salaries. How much do you think the uh, the broadcasting part of it is just that the NBA realizes that the players are what's the draw? I mean, I guess what I'm saying is you can have the greatest play-by-play and color commentators ever. How much is that actually adding to your viewership? It's Lebr- Everybody's going there to watch LeBron James and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and yada, yada, yada. Is anybody actually going to watch the game less because it's Chris Webber and Reggie Miller instead of Jeff Van Gundy? I don't know. Maybe that's the cost-cutting measure that ESPN's embarking on. I mean, that could be it. That could be, I mean, we've talked over the years about how the, the current model of pro sports, and I think this is most salient in the NFL, is like power and attention is accruing to the athlete. The athletes hold more power. They speak directly to the fans through their social media feeds. They seem to be you know, carry more power than coaches and general managers. Uh, they can move around. They're sort of, um, you take a look at like a Kevin Durant, and he's in some ways a man without a country, but he's got... There's a lot of Durant fans who aren't necessarily fans of the Suns, right? They're just Kevin Durant fans. Um, and so that that's a possibility. I mean, people tune in to watch the players, and they don't really care who's doing the commentary. I mean, folks like you, Coulter, that kind of geek out about it and understand it, you can probably appreciate the, the insightful comments that a Jeff Van Gundy or somebody else like him can add. But for the average fan, they might not even care. They might not even be watching Right? They might be like scrolling the game on Twitter as they watch it on mute or, or you know, some, some other combination. The other thing there is like what is if the, if the games and the players are kind of the supply, what is the distribution model? And is the distribution model shifting to away from terrestrial television and more to some sort of gamified substrate. What I'm getting at here is like, are we going to eventually move to a world where gambling is so embedded in the product and in the experience of watching a sports game that we're going to be watching it 
through some mechanism that includes gaming in it um, or gambling in it. And uh, that might, you, I, I hear you kind of snickering. Does that mean you don't buy into my dystopian view of this world or that it's just too grim to confront? No, I, I actually think that that's exactly what's going to happen. I also just think that people are going to be, people are, we're already training ourselves to watch things how we want to watch them. I think about this when it comes to the NFL all the time. I don't particularly think that any of the color commentator guys in the NFL, besides Chris Collinsworth, teach me anything. And that's not me being self-righteous or anything like that. But I do think that the way that the NFL is analyzed and commentated on on a national level is an incredibly homogenized version of football. And I totally understand why they make that broadcast decision. They Football is an incredibly complicated sport that has so many moving parts. The most... Uh, the most centered and, and sort of most easy to, to palette version of football is the quarterback gets the ball and the quarterback's the most important guy and the quarterback and the quarterback and the quarterback and the quarterback, right? It's the most marketable players in the league. It's also the easiest way to describe it to people. But like when I watch the NFL, I watch the NFL more than I watch any other sport. I watch the NFL with, with the sound off or with the sound very low. Because I'm generally probably watching it with my brother and our commentary and what what we see and how we watch football is distinctly different than what the, the broadcast is presenting. So I, I don't know. I guess it's, it's very interesting because what you're saying and what we're saying, I think, is the same thing. We are going to see this evolve an incredible amount. And I do think that the influx of sports gambling is absolutely going to have an influence on it. Yeah. I mean, it could change the whole shape of how we watch these games and you know, what sort of media ent enterprises will will unfold and, you know, how tethered to, how important is a big screen? Will it be more of a mobile device consumption environment? And if it's a mobile device consumption environment, you know, a talking head telling me what's happening is less important than, you know, maybe the features associated with the app in which I'm watching it and how quickly I can place a bet on a free throw happening in real time or whether, you know, a tackle gets made or, you know, things, things like that. I think that, you know, gambling is such, sports betting is such a, a, a dominant emergent force in sport that it's going to drive how we consume the product and therefore will drive how the product is conceived. And I don't just mean that from the typical themes of potential nefarious, you know, game fixing and point shaving and that sort of stuff. I think it's rather than manifesting in those ways with illicit behavior, it's going to take form of how actually consumers interact with the product, how it gets delivered to us and how we consume it. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Nuan is now ESPN Radio, The Business Angle. Justin Angle joining us from New Hampshire this week. Uh, we'll have uh, a segment with him coming up when he's back around these parts, but I appreciate him taking some time while he's out there. Uh, on the family vacation. Uh, Sports Illustrated came out with their latest power issue, which shows the most powerful, influential, and marketable people in sports. I just cracked it last night, so I you know, I got about two people in before I fell asleep reading it. But uh, the, the one I wanted to talk about, though, is a guy that's been in the news, I mean, pretty much constantly, but certainly this last month or so, that's Patrick Mahomes, because he has a new Netflix documentary that chronicles just what it's like to be a quarterback uh, in the NFL. And I, I think that Mahomes has such an interesting stranglehold on the uh, the public consciousness 
for a variety of reasons. First of all, he's a spectacular player. The way that he plays is just so conducive to this, you know, 30-second clip era that we live in. If all you ever watched was all Patrick Mahomes' 30-second clips, you'd have a lot of content and probably more than anybody else in the NFL over the last 10 or 15 years. I also think, though, uh, I don't particularly enjoy Mahomes as a personality, but I think a heck of a lot of people around America do. I mean, he's got his his funny haircut. Well, you know, his, I, I think I said in the in the outline, he's got a middle school kid's haircut, and he wears his 1980s, you know, Randy Savage, Macho Man Randy Savage sunglasses. He just seems like this everyman, even though he's this superhuman when he puts on the pads and the helmet. So, uh, first of all, I mean, have you watched this quarterback? And if so, what do you think? But either way, what do you think this could do for Mahomes' image and marketability? I started the series, and I think it's going to be as, if not more compelling than this whole cadre of sports documentary series that Netflix has come out with. I mean, the 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 drive to survive and to full swing and break point and this unchained about the Tour de France are all so good. Highly recommend checking them out. Um, and I agree with you on Mahomes. Like his his personal style isn't really super compelling to me, but it, it he's like engineered in a way for this current social media landscape. Whether it's the highlights that he's capable. of, you know, pulling off on the field or how he kind of has crafted this, this, um, this, his own brand persona to kind of match the, the, where the NFL is at with its relationship to the fans. He's playful. He's charismatic. Um, you want to watch him play because you, anytime he touches the ball, something could happen that we've never seen before and may never see again. And I think too, like, he presents as, I won't say like as, a, as an everyday normal dude, but as enough of an everyday normal dude with some, you know, interesting personality quirks that you kind of, he's accessible, right? And I think that accessibility is a human, um, whether that flavor of human resonates with you or not, he, he comes off as real and authentic and that, um, I think people like seeing somebody who can be a magician in one context of their life be ultimately human in another context of their life. I mean, it's like Tom Brady is is doing the Stetson Man commercials, and he's you know he's the prettiest guy ever to live. And and he, there when he's marketing your product, you're selling this this image of you know it's fancy, it's high class, it's it's elite, it's unattainable. Yeah. Then he got Mahomes. He's selling you. You know, I mean, there's a reason that Mahomes is selling you head and shoulders. He's not selling you Vidal Sassoon or whatever. The, I don't even know. I don't have any hair, so I don't even know what the, the fancy shampoos are. But, uh, you know, Mahomes is selling you the everyday stuff. He's drinking his Coors Light. He's got his $40 sunglasses he bought at the gas station, you know. He's he's spilling ketchup on himself all the time because he loves his hot dog. I mean, it, it really is relatable, and I think the reason it is so relatable is I don't think any of this stuff is contrived. I think it is actually who he is. And so, like we say, even if we aren't necessarily buying what he's selling. A whole lot of everyday people in America definitely are. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, like, his team plays in Kansas City, like, straight in the middle of the country, and there's sort of this all-American, everyman thing happening there. It's not quite, it's a different flavor than was Brett Favre, um, but it's got some similar characteristics 
Uh, you know, Brett Favre's kind of personal brand has taken a bit of a nosedive in the last 10 years, but when he was a player, he kind of had some of that same persona, that grit, that ability to like hold on to the ball a little bit longer than is probably advisable, but uh, there was enough of a chance of him, you know, doing a Houdini act and getting out of it and making something happen that people would play along. And then his personal brand was kind of built around cowboy gunslinger and Mahomes is a little bit of a different flavor of that. It's like a, a modern version, a hipster gunslinger in some way. And it, it certainly resonates with folks and it, it seems to be working for him just fine. Justin Engel, the business angle here on Nuanez. Now he joins us a couple times a month. Uh, we appreciate Blackfoot Communications for their proud sponsorship of the Business Angle. To see how Blackfoot can help you and your small business, visit goblackfoot.com. Justin, also the host of a New Angle podcast, and I actually just saw your latest Instagram post. You got a new one coming out, so just uh, plug that real quick before we let you go. Yeah, the one coming out this week, Thursday. Um, I, every month I do an episode with Bryce Ward, an economist and kind of expert on all things in and around Montana. And, you know, if you think about the news cycle this summer, it's kind of been uh, a, a little bit uh, slow. You know, we saw a lot of energy put toward covering the submarine that uh, was lost at sea. Certainly a tragedy, but um, at the end of the day, that was like a lot of rich folks doing something super dangerous. It, it, how how news, newsworthy is that? Um, I don't exactly know, but maybe it's a sign that things aren't maybe, things are pretty good, actually that um, you know, we're, we're conditioned often in the media to think that everything's bad and uh, things right now are pretty good. So we check in on some of those metrics that indicate that things are, are going better, um, some economic metrics and health metrics, but also we get into some recent research showing that this bias we have toward thinking everything is terrible and that some unspecified time in the past was better appears to be a default setting in the psyche of human beings. Um, and so we get into some of those research findings and what might be driving them. So yeah, interesting episode. Feel free to tune in tomorrow night, 7.30 on uh, Montana Public Radio. There you go, a New Angle podcast, and also on Montana Public Radio, he's Justin Angle. Thanks for being here, man, enjoy your trip. Thanks, man, we'll talk soon. Free MMA tickets. It's fight night under the lights down there at the Paddlehead Stadium on Saturday. We got them for you. Keep it right here, ESPN Radio. This is Nuwana's Now on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula. I don't know if we actually have ever played Everclear on this show. Crazy. So much music out there. Welcome back to Nuwana's Now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Thanks so much for hanging out with us here on this Tuesday. There is... A fight night happening down there at uh, Ogren Park, the Missoula Paddlehead Stadium in the Sawmill District on Saturday night. And we're hooking up. We got tickets for you. Call us right now, 406-888-1029. Call number three. We got a pair of tickets for you at a VIP table ringside. There's a card of about 10 events. There's three pro fights, and uh, we're hooking you up. It's the uh, Fight Fusion League in Missoula, one of the biggest promotions in the Northwest, we got tickets for you. 406 888 1029. That's 
Justin Harbison was in studio with us. He's a local guy, a uh, Missoula Sentinel graduate, and uh, he'll be making his pro debut in the fights on Saturday night. So that's cool. You get to see a couple Missoula guys. Uh, Connell Powers is also fighting in a main event fight. Uh, Justin Harbison, a, a heavyweight, and Connell Powers, a featherweight. But those are the two main events on Saturday night. So it should be a really fun evening down there. I know MMA is not for everybody. I know a lot of people think it's it's brutal and violent, and it certainly is, but there's also uh, a sweet science behind it. And uh, the uh, the dedication and the mentality that it takes to to do it is is impressive. It's it, it's uh, it, it's a grind like almost no other sport. And uh, I think all of the different elements of athleticism and athletic performance that you can draw from, I think that fighting takes all of it. I think it takes, obviously, toughness, intensity, discipline, training, physical fitness, but then it also takes the desire to to compete, the, the desire to win. It takes athleticism from both a strength, power perspective, explosive perspective, but also uh, just a, a body composition perspective. I, I do really think that some of the, the best MMA guys are some of the most diverse and legitimate athletes in the world. And I think that... Uh, it's cool that the sport's grown so much. Again, I know that not all, some people don't like watching it, but I I love it, and I just love sort of talking to the the people that dedicate their lives to it because you really do you have to on all levels too. I mean that that's the thing is the entry point to this. You know the fights you're going to see Saturday night down there at the Paddlehead Stadium. Um, there's going to be some really talented fighters there. The UFC is a wholly, a totally different level than that. But that's the craziest part is as you're working your way up a lot of other sports, the entry point's a lot more mellow. When you get into the ring with another person, it's going down. It doesn't matter if you're amateurs or pros or whatever. So uh, and the, level, the level of commitment to that, not just the level of commitment to the training to get ready for it, but the level of commitment to what the competition actually is and, and how invested you have to be in that moment when you're in the midst of a fight, man, you know, it's like it's like the old uh, Max Kellerman line. Everybody's favorite sport is fighting. <laughs> like you think, oh, man, is it really? But guess what? There's a lot of sports that could be happening, and you might be walking by. You might take a second look or something. But if you see a fight in any form or fashion, you're going to stop and watch. I almost guarantee, no matter what, even if you don't even like what's going on. So uh, there is a certain element of that there, and it's uh, it's cool that there's a promotion, a legitimate promotion, coming to town uh, here on Saturday night uh, in Missoula. I do want to get a couple uh, thoughts on the Women's World Cup, so we'll do that next. Andrew Houghton chiming in here on Nuwana's Now. Don't change the dial. TSPN Radio. One, two, three. Nuwana's Now on ESPN Radio. Got to see one of my favorite bands Sunday night, Incubus, but also learned about a new great band, Bad Flower. I know they're not that new. They've had a couple records, but they were the opener, and uh, I've been jamming to them all week as well. Uh, ever since having such a great time out there at the Kettle House uh, on Sunday evening. Welcome back to is Now, ESPN Radio, SWX by Ted Television, and the ESPN MT app. I'm Coulter Nuanas coming to you through the ESPN MT studio every Monday through Friday. If you missed anything in today's show, you can always find it on the is Now podcast, probably presented by Blackfoot Communications, the M Store, and the Montana State Bookstore. The uh, Women's World Cup begins tomorrow. We've talked a little bit about this. Uh, it's already going. The United Team USA plays tomorrow. That, that's what I meant to say. 
Uh, they do play tomorrow, but it's their second game. Okay, who did they who did they play earlier? I was completely absent from reality besides the Missoula Country Club the last four days. Uh, United <laughs> States played Vietnam over the weekend. And well, how did how did the United States do? Three to nothing. Uh, dominant game. I mean, it was way more dominant than that. Vietnam did not have a shot. So <laughs> wow, no shots. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, that's no surprise, though, right? I mean, Mon- uh, the United States should be big-time favorites uh, over Vietnam in the Women's World Cup. Right? U.S. are the overall favorites to win the entire thing. Totally. Uh, I believe Vietnam is making their World Cup debut. Uh, so, yeah, uh, 3-0, not bad, actually, for the Vietnamese. <laughs> okay. Um, there's somebody I wanted to ask you about because uh, I listened to a podcast about the Women's World Cup. I hadn't heard much about this young lady. Tell me about Alyssa Thompson. Alyssa Thompson is uh, 16 years old. She's like widely considered one of the great high school players ever, right? Correct. She Already? Plays, she plays professionally now for Angel City she, in she the was, USL, the LA was, team. She was committed to Stanford when she was like 14, but then said, no, I'm just going to go pro instead. Do I have this right? That is correct, yes. And she is with the U.S. women's team at this World Cup. She's coming off the bench, but she's she's getting some run. There's some people that say that this this young lady is... Uh, a prodigy, and that and that she has the the opportunity, the, the ceiling to to be one of the great soccer players ever, and one of the great people, one of the great soccer players for the United States, man or woman ever, right? I mean, is, how is this going to happen? This seems like a lot of pressure on a young lady. Yeah, it's a, that's an interesting question. I I think she's on the right track, right? I mean, the I pressure mean, she's hasn't, on the national team. Pressure hasn't been proven to be too much for her so far. I guess she's actually. 18 years old, so she's been dealing with this level of fame for several years now. Yeah, because she was, um, you know, I mean, she's a, she's the national Gatorade Player of the Year in soccer multiple times. Yep, I found out about this young lady because she uh, randomly goes to the same. She went to the same high school as Bill Simmons' daughter. Bill Simmons, I listen to his podcast all the time. So he was talking about this young lady, and then when the, he had a World Cup guest on, and and that's when I sort of dove into this, but. Um, I don't know, funny little connection. That's what led me to going down the rabbit hole of reading about this young lady. So she was playing for MLS Next Team, sort of like MLS Development Academy's under-19 teams, playing against boys in the MLS pipeline. <laughs> wow. Uh, she Yeah, she went to Harvard-Westlake, which is a big athletic school in L.A. Uh, she gets drafted as a high school senior. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's, she's a good player. She's she's a great player. She has the potential to be great. It'll be interesting to follow her. Women's soccer gets a lot of these uh, young prodigies, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we've had players like uh, Olivia Moultrie coming up and, and um, you know, several of the other stars. I mean, the U.S. Is, is starting a bunch of young players right now. The other one I'm interested in is Trinity Rodman. Obviously, people that follow the NBA, Dennis Rodman's daughter, but she's a legitimate player, right? I mean, I mean, obviously, she's on the United States national team, but I mean, she's like actually one of the better players on the team. Do I have this right? She's starting for the United States national team, and she's another one, right? She's she's twenty, she's twenty one years old. Amazing. She's been playing pro for for a couple of years. She came into the NWSL in twenty twenty one. Big player there, big player for the Washington Spirit in the NWSL. Yeah, she's starting on one of the wings. For the U.S. and yeah, fast, great passer from the wing, uh, really, really, really good player, and going to be really famous by the uh, by the end of the, the World Cup. But yeah, she's uh, a really dangerous player for the U.S. She uh, she drew a penalty against Vietnam in the first game. The uh, Women's World Cup continues tomorrow. It's from Australia, 
and New Zealand, and uh, Team USA is uh, in action. Who does, who does America got tomorrow? U.S. playing their toughest game of the group stage tomorrow against the Netherlands, who they beat in the last Women's World Cup final. Wow, okay. Uh, so just a little plug here, that game will be shown uh, at the Paddlehead Stadium. Oh, cool. Sweet. So go what time's it at? I think the pregame starts at 6.30. Oh, this is an evening thing. This is, uh, the U.S. gets somewhat preferential scheduling, right? Yeah, so yeah. So pregame starts at 6.30. I think the gates open at 6.30 there. Kickoff at 7 at the Paddlehead Stadium. I know the uh, university soccer team will be down there. I'll be trying to go down there, too. So Sweet. Maybe we'll see you there. Uh, Nuana's now, ESPN Radio. We'll be back at it tomorrow. we got another uh, full slate for you. Alex Eshelman of the Big Sky Conference will join us. We also uh, have some senior spotlight action and plenty more. So we'll see you then. Uh, we appreciate you for tuning in. If you missed anything, you can find it on the podcast. This has been Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now. If you visit msubookstore.org, free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.